Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to our Tech Radio show for this week with all the latest from tech around Ireland and around the world. Thank you for downloading from our website at techcentral.ie using your favourite podcast app on your smartphone or listening on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is our show for the week ending Friday the 24th of July and this week Niall has been out and out talking to some of the key people in the Irish tech industry and finding out some very, very interesting things. In a few moments we'll hear from an Irish operation who are bringing contactless payments to the country. But first, technology is changing how we learn. One of my own favourites is uh, lynda.com. I'm sure you're familiar with it, where people from, from middling to quite good quality will actually put video courses teaching you how to use various software packages mainly. But what if you want to learn something other than a software programme? The Learnivate Centre is based here in Ireland and is a world leader in how we use learning technology, what works and what's possible in the future. To find out more, Niall spoke with Dr. Martin Farrows, who is the centre director. I'm at the Learnivate Centre attached to TCD on this very glorious Tuesday morning. Uh, And I'm here to meet with the centre director, Dr. Martin Farrows, to talk a little bit about um, what 21st century learning is, uh, how it's applied or not applied, as the case may be, and does it have any applications beyond the classroom towards, say, how we go on to work uh, in the wider world? Uh, Good morning, Dr. Farrows. Good morning. Just to sort of uh, get a, a better understanding of what 21st century learning is. Now, it's been quite a while since we talked about it on the show and on Tech Central uh, in general. So at the time, our understanding was that 21st century learning was about integrating uh, technology into the classroom, in particular using multimedia content like video, like um, like audio, like podcasts, uh, and through programs like Digital Creator a few years ago, which was supported by Apple and uh, NCID, I I think uh, we were seeing kids embrace things like um, video production, even green screen material to uh, to produce work around, say, uh, local issues uh, or local history projects. So how has uh, the understanding of 21st century learning sort of moved on from then? I suppose the, the one thing that we have noticed here in terms of a trend is that um, you know people take for granted now that the technology is going to be available in the classroom. Um, so that's from devices through to the kind of connectivity, um, through to the software, the productivity tools that um, might be expected to be used. So there's less of an emphasis now on the availability of the technology, although that's still something of an issue, and more around, well, how do we use that technology in a more effective way? What do I mean by that? Well, if you, if you try to sum it up in one word, it's around personalization. So it's around a personalized experience for each individual learner, Um, regardless of the kind of device that they're using or the kind of platform that they're working with. So that's the big change. The big change is kind of what we've seen is we've raised the bar in many ways. Um, It's less around the provision of the technology. That's that's now literally a resource issue, and it's more around, well, how do we better and more effectively use that technology? Yeah, I think one thing that uh, really hasn't changed as a, a core principle of 21st century learning is finding kids where they live. Uh, and if kids live online, well, that's 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 where we should be teaching them and that's where we should be um, uh, sort of engaging with them. Uh, however, at the time uh, that I was being first exposed to this idea, uh, I, I, as far as I can remember, I was at a talk by um, 
uh, Rory Quinn when he was Minister for Education. And one of the first things he tried to disabuse uh, his audience of was the idea that we have a good education system in Ireland. Um, the, the fact of the matter was that our skills are lagging behind, um, that the reliance on rote learning really isn't helping um, the, the workforce. Uh, from your perspective, what sort of skills do you think uh, students are lacking once they finish the Leaving Cert and are ready to go on to third level? So we're seeing a lot of emphasis at the moment. We, we, we work here with a lot of industry partners who are obviously facing into those kind of um, recruitment problems themselves. Um, and a lot of things that they talk about from their perspective is this, this kind of focus on 21st century skills, um, which is kind of a strange name to give it because they were also around in the 20th century. But um, let's just call them, you know, um, things like co- collaboration skills, problem-solving skills, creativity all of those kind of things that you need as a kind of prerequisite to enter into the workforce that our education system doesn't formally teach or formally assess. So in Ireland, we have the the key skills framework from the NCCA. It's there. It's a a rubric that people can refer to, but it's not formally taught as a set of skills. It's implicit within subject areas, Um, and it's certainly not assessed. There's no leaving cert exam in creativity or problem-solving. And that, that creates a real problem from an employer's point of view because it's very hard to then assess, well, how has that student developed those skills throughout their school career? So we've been working on some projects here where we've been looking at how we can um, ask students to actually self-assess themselves in those skill areas. They, they work through uh, a mobile-based, uh, tablet-based app that we have created. It's, it's a scaffolded approach. There's an onboarding process as part of the app um, where the student is encouraged to understand more about the the skill itself. So we we work a lot on um, improving skill literacy throughout that that onboarding process. And then they're required to generate and upload and create evidence that the teacher can see um, to to show and demonstrate how they are developing those skills. So we're we're taking steps here to to, to try and um, progress that notion of how we can more formally develop and assess those skills that are going to be required by those students when they go into the workforce. Uh, of course, with uh, increased use of technology in the classroom and increased use of technology by students, uh, it also throws up a whole wealth of issues that are familiar in the working world already. Uh, in particular, where you're using, uh, say, methodologies behind big data to come up with benchmarks for um, uh, sort of how uh, pupils should be reacting to and developing their skills. There's also sort of that, that breakdown of data privacy, data protection. Uh, how do you manage to approach these areas in a way that reassures parents and educators without uh, sort of bamboozling anyone with sort of legalese? It's a a great question and the data protection, data privacy issue is one that we do an awful lot of work on here. Um, It's it's really though um, quite a simple one to, to head off because if you build privacy in by design when you're working with these technologies then it, it won't be a problem. In many cases it's, it's around just developing a better understanding of what the issues are. In, in, in most cases when you're storing data online for example in the cloud it's a more secure data storage um, methodology than if you have a laptop lying around in the school secretary's office. So, you know, a, a lot of this is a perception issue as well. Um, people, because they can't see the data because it's in the cloud, they think it may be not secure, but actually it is secure. The likes of uh, Microsoft with their Azure platform, you know, they have enormous security protocols that they, they deal with um, on a daily basis. So, you know, the data it, it, that is out there is secure. Uh, there's no question of that. 
Yeah, one thing about uh, sort of uh, ongoing uh, development, particularly in the corporate world, do you find a similar willingness uh, or lack of willingness, I suppose, to embrace new teaching methodologies uh, in the corporate sector where the where from the first point there might be a resistance, particularly in the SME sector, to uh, ongoing learning and development because there is this idea that why, why would we bother upskilling people if they're just going to leave for a bigger company? That's a good question. I mean, I think, um, but I think there is a recognition now that um, if you provide a really um, meaningful learning environment for your employees, that they will stick around. Um, so, the, the, the question with SMEs is less around um, it's less around their willingness to to embrace some of these innovations than their capacity and their bandwidth to be able to develop them themselves. And that's why centres like Donovate exist. You know, so we're here to support that R and D effort for those SMEs in Ireland um, who are going to be the job creators in the future. So, you know, whilst they might not be able to have those extensive R and D programs themselves to develop these new learning technologies or innovations in this space, we can help them to do that, and we can lower the risk of adoption for them. Uh, as a centre, of course, um, there are a number of ongoing research projects uh, at the moment. So what kind of work are we seeing coming out of Learnovate at the moment? Uh, so the big big issues that we're looking at at the moment are all around adaptivity and personalisation, um, but different flavours of that. So um, a key project that we've just finished trialling in a number of schools around the country is one which is looking at the new, new methodologies for content curation. So if you think about a textbook um, analogy, a textbook is a one-size-fits-all so a one-size-fits-all solution for students. Um, we've been looking at technologies which allow students to auto-generate their own um, experiences um, based on search terms and criteria that they put in. So they would effectively generate um, a composition um, based around a search term, which is... The, the analogy would be a textbook chapter, but it's a textbook chapter which is dynamic and changes based on the um, the inputs that the student puts in themselves and pulls data in from a number of different sources. And we're working with technology providers, publishers, and um, hardware distributors to try and get that product to market now. And what technologies that you mightn't be using uh, in the centre at the moment are really exciting you? I think the, the whole space of augmented reality is a huge growth area in the learning uh, in the learning space. I mean, we we we've done some some work in around in and around the immersive um, in the immersive world uh, area, but augmented reality takes that to a whole new to, uh, to a whole new level. Um, what we'd be looking to do in in the next two or three years is, is some research projects around that to look at well, how can you build authoring tools for those worlds that those augmented reality technologies can take advantage of? Because simulation is a, is an enormously powerful way of learning. Uh, and just a just a final point. Uh, really, we're, we've been talking about the corporate sector and we've been talking about um, ostensibly primary schools. But uh, in terms of second and third level education, are we seeing the same principles being applied? Um, we're seeing an awful lot of ground up um, change, um, particularly in Ireland. So, you know, we've seen a huge amount of uh, uptake of things like Khan Academy um, and the Mathletes Challenge. We're seeing an awful lot of adoption of technologies and content outside of the classroom that's supporting in classroom uh, learning activity, but is effectively happening outside of the confines of, of the school. We have a, a, a difficult issue here in that, you know, it's very hard to, to, to adapt. Um, a, a national education system to, to be innovative um, because you know it's inherently quite a high stakes um, 
system that you're working with. You know, you don't want to necessarily prejudice any child's experiences of going through uh, education and then an assessment um, at the end of that. But we do need to think about how we can innovate in that space. We need to be a little bit more creative, I think, in terms of how, in particular, we look at the assessment models that we um, currently employ. Do you think the likes of Coder Dojo are sort of forcing a change in this regard, where kids are coming into schools and there's sort of a, a disconnect, not only between... Um, the kid, what kids can do amongst themselves, but also what kids can do uh, as opposed to their own teachers. Absolutely. Look, I think demand-led uh, change is always good in education. You know, if it's driven by students or parents or even teachers, then that's always a good thing. Um, I think Coda Dojo has been a huge success, not just in Ireland, but um, internationally as well. Um, it brings in a, in a whole, whole set of skills that are essential um, for certain uh, types of work, um, for students that are going to be graduating from school. Um, I, th- I think that what's really interesting around the whole Coda Dojo piece is it brings in other, other members of the community as well to get involved in the learning process. I mean, we have a, a huge resource in Ireland of parents who are working, who have skills that they can transfer into schools if we can find methods and mechanisms to do that, and Coda Dojo is a great way of doing it. So you have lots of parents who are out there who have coding skills who can bring those into the school. And, the, and for, for me, well, the feedback that we've been hearing from teachers is that they're very positive about that because it's actually freeing up a lot of their time to focus on things that they want to do with the students. And so it's really about being, using technology in education is about being more effective about how you employ the learning process. And that's the same in the corporate uh, space as well. You know, most of the technologies that we're working with here in a corporate context are focused on how do you, how do you enable somebody to be more effective in the moment? So how do you deliver a piece of learning to them that is context-aware, that is very specific to their point of need at that particular point in time? Uh, Finally, the um, the most important in a lot of respects piece of the puzzle is getting educators on board, uh, particularly at primary level. Uh, How do you find the appetite is to take on board the principles of 21st century learning at least because we we see it at primary and second level there is this resistance albeit from a vocal minority of educators about changes to the curricula let alone changes to to their core skills our experience has been um, very positive in, in relation to the teachers that we deal with and the educators that we deal with everybody is very enthusiastic about bringing new methods of learning into the classroom in particular those methods of learning which are adding value to the existing process. The, the difficulty, I think, with in particular technology is that it has to be supported by a really comprehensive set of training and development for teachers because you can't expect um, a teacher who has been in the classroom for 10, 15, 20 years to constantly be able to renew how they do things without the support of um, structured CPD. So, you know, that, 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 that component of it has to be there. If you look at what's happening in the U.S., um, Obama introduced a really interesting program called ConnectEd, and it had, it had five core, core strands to it, but one of those was CPD. So they, they placed CPD at, right at the top of the list of priorities for teachers in order to be able to bring the technology into the schools. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Dr. Martin Farrows, who is the Centre Director at the Learnovate Centre. If you want to find out more about what they do and a nice little uh, uh, video presentation on there as well, uh, check it out at www.learnovatecentre.org. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Tech Central.
Now, let's get on to something close to us all. Money. Again, all is change here, no pun intended, as we do more and more of our transactions online. In the immediate future, one Irish company, Elevon, wants us to use our credit cards and mobile phones for new contactless payments, as well as all the online stuff. To dig into this further and how it works and how it's going to be rolled across Ireland, Niall Kitson spoke with Eric Horgan from Elevon. I'm out in the Western Hotel in Dublin City Centre at the moment and I'm meeting with Eric Horgan who's the country manager of Elevan for Ireland and I guess just to start our conversation, tell us a little bit about Elevan because it's, it's a company that's behind the music, I think it's fair to say, when it comes to e-commerce. Yeah, um, Elevon's a card acquirer. So a card acquirer is effectively, we perform that banking relationship. If you're an e-commerce website and you want to accept cards online, you engage with somebody like us. Um, we, we provide a business with a merchant services agreement then to, to accept payments. So you'll find the likes of many of the, the businesses in Ireland that are online would contract and would, uh, would work with us to enable commerce online. Um, we've got about 32,000 Irish customers. Um, we have been in Ireland for just over 15 years. We have just over 400 people working in our offices between Arklow and Cherrywood. We believe we are the, um, the, the highest employer in the card acquiring payment space in Ireland. Um, and that's something we're very, very proud of. So... Uh, so uh, Put my, to put yourself in the shoes of the average consumer around town, what kind of sectors are you finding are taking up your services more and more? Are we looking at, say, the convenience store and the clothes retailer, or where are you at the moment? There, there is an awful lot happening in the payment space in Ireland and in the world at the moment. There's, a, there's so many new um, technical innovations going on out there. Um, there's a couple I, I'd, I'd mention that, that would be changing the way consumers pay and the way businesses want to accept payments. The first would be um, contactless, contactless cards. So if you, if you look into your, uh, if you take out your wallet, more than likely your debit card will have a, a little logo that looks like a, a Wi-Fi symbol on it, which means it's enabled for contactless, which means you can just tap at the at the terminal when you're buying something for less than 15 euros, rather than enter your PIN. Um, that's one thing. Um, th- that's that's really that, that was launched about four or five years ago, and has really taken off over the past year or two. So people are really really starting to use it, and it's something that we in the industry believe is is a way that we can displace cash. Ireland, we love using cash, and this is going to be um, this is the product that that we see is infiltrating our cash usage at, at sub 15 euro. Um, payment amounts. And, and that limit is going up to €30 Euros at the end of October. So we're going to expand that as well and really make that, that whole kind of payments experience for a consumer rather than putting in your, your, your PIN number that you can just tap and go for, for any transaction less than €30. Euros. At Elevon, every, every terminal now that we deploy in the market is, is contactless enabled. That's the first thing. Um, the other thing about, about contactless and about the, the enabling technology is NFC. And there's been a lot um, in the news recently around Apple Pay. So Apple Pay actually runs over uh, NFC, near field communication um, technology. So the the businesses around Ireland that that are contactless enabled will be ready once this mobile wallet payment revolution hits Ireland, the infrastructure is there to accept Apple Pay and mobile wallets. I think the interesting thing when you look at any sort of electronic solution for payments does come down to that thing that Irish people do love the cash and wallet, that they they feel confident about it, they feel that they appreciate, I guess, the value of a transaction a lot more than if they're using uh, credit cards. As an e-commerce provider, um, 
how do you see the balance of payments going? Are people getting that much more confident in cards uh, or is cash still king? Um, certainly in the face-to-face world, cash is still very prominent, but there's a couple of, uh, couple of stats announced recently at the Bankers' Federation of Ireland during the week. For the first time ever, um, de- ATM withdrawals have been less than debit card usage. So we're, we're using ATMs less and withdrawing cash less. Certainly online, consumers are migrating online in their droves. So from our business, we see, you know, we're in the cards business and people using credit cards, and we see growth two and a half to three times uh, the normal face-to-face card usage in online still. So consumers are migrating in their droves online, and businesses are realizing that. And then as an industry then, we have initiatives going on as well to make that whole payment experience that much easier for a consumer when they want to buy something. So we're very aware and, and we get challenged by the businesses that we work with. They want frictionless payment experience for, uh, for their consumers to ensure they don't drop out during the, uh, during the checkout process. So there's, there's, there's a lot of work going in in our industry and there's, there's new um, p- payment methods coming out from Visa, V.me, that really g- try to get closer to that single click payment when you're online that you're not kind of you're not bothered with um, with secure code and with um, verified by visa passwords additional passwords that, that that's required that might make you not make that purchase so that's feedback that we're getting so the industry as a whole is reacting to that reacting to what consumers want when, when they make a payment and and there are some innovations around new ways to pay and to check out online so one of the interesting things, though, when it comes to frictionless payments is that where there is added convenience, there is the feeling of decreased security. So how are companies like yourselves dealing with that particular hurdle? Um, well, you, you may have heard about tokenization. So, so, so tokenize, be, behind all of, these, um, all of these technologies, I mean, we're very, very well aware. Consumers are moving online. Mobile payments are, are coming. Um, we have... Um, we, we have you know, products and services like tokenization that ensure card details are absolutely securely stored and that we as a payments provider provide, um, you know, consultancy and advice to, to our businesses to ensure that their cards are stored. We've got, our, our, our industry is well regulated. We, we have um, what, what are known as the, the, the PCI payment card industry um, requirements for every business to, to really store and manage cards and, and manage the data and ensure it's not lost. So that, that's always at the forefront of the service that we offer. And, uh, of course, as an American company trading in Europe, that brings uh, specific challenges of its own because, uh, as we know, American companies and um, the EU have varying uh, opinions when it comes to data protection and data usage. As an American company trading in Europe, how are you finding that, I guess you would call it, friction? Um, we, we, you know, we're in a particular industry where where data, even before you know there, there were data security requirements, was a key part of our business. Keeping cardholder data secure over and above you know legal regulations. We've got industry regulations that beat the, the, the legal and banking regulations around data security. So so it's foremost. It's it's um, you know we're, we're audited once a year by the PCI Council. We, you know so it, it's it's very central to our industry as a whole. So so on the whole, the differences between US and, and EU just because we have heightened data security requirements anyway almost become irrelevant. Uh, And what sort of trends do you see happening uh, on the high street? I mean, I think one of the big 
I guess, selling jobs, if you pardon the expression, is to get retailers on board with contactless payments as well, because I guess people get stuck in their ways. They're, they're happy with the way they're doing business. How do you say to a retailer, if you adopt this, you will actually end up making more sales? Yeah, it's um, we've got to make it worth their while, make the cost of transaction that bit lower because they're, they're lower cost transactions. But again, we, we are finding over the past um, over the past year and and with something new like contactless, there's a little bit of, of chicken and egg. So we've we've got to get cards out there, and permanent TSB has just either I think they're halfway through. Um, deploying or issuing their cards to their card holders and then we also have to get the businesses have for their infrastructure to be um, to be contactless enabled as well so there was a couple of years get, getting that correct in the market and then we're, we're at this kind of critical mass point where it really is happening businesses have are really starting to adopt it and consumers are really seeing the benefit of using it the, this idea again of that frictionless payment it's something that they're that they're really coming towards um, for high Street in general, you know, we, we talk less about less and less about the High Street and more and more about e-commerce, really. On our book of 32,000 businesses, we've got um, quite a high proportion of e-commerce businesses, and we're finding, you know, more than 50% have a, have a presence in both worlds, have a presence in e-com and have a presence in, um, you know, in the bricks-and-mortar world. So a lot of what we try and do is we, we try to keep um, up-to-date with, with retail strategies, and, and omni-channel is, is one of those areas that we're looking into as well so that we can provide a service for, for a business so if they um, you know if, if they transact online or, or sell a good online that you can then return that good in, in the in the real world store and that we've, we provide all the, the payments infrastructure to enable them to do that so that the, the, the consumer has a seamless experience and the business has a seamless experience so that's that's another uh, major trend that we're seeing as well it's a very interesting point that you raise, all right, and it's something that they are working on in Europe just to give that sense of security, uh, to make that consistent across online as uh, in the high street. And I think that's a barrier that people still have to deal with. There, There is that sense that if I put my credit card into a website, I don't know who, who is actually processing it. Yeah, um, I mean, we're seeing less and less of that. I mean, I think that might have been three or four years ago. I, I, we don't really see security as being, a, you know, a reason why people aren't buying online. We're finding that people have moved online. That they've kind of overcome that. And really, at this stage, their, their requirements as consumers are, are kind of more higher end, that the customer experience when they're paying online is of more concern to them now than the security aspect. But you will find as well that some of these new initiatives like, like Apple Pay or like V.me that's coming from Visa, they're, they're mobile wallets that work in both worlds. So they're mobile wallets that work in both worlds that, that store your card details very, very securely in, in bank tokenized vaults. Um, so the industry is addressing this, this kind of new requirement around coming from consumers, around frictionless pay, payments, but security is very, very much at the heart of that, whether you're working in the, the, the e-com space or whether you're working in the, the face-to-face world. Uh, I guess one of the more important parts of the consumer feeling secure about using contactless payments is that 15 euro ceiling that's there at the moment. But uh, I mean, that has to go if the um, technology is to really find its feet. How long do you think that measure has left in it? 
Well, well, a little bit of breaking news for you here, perhaps. Uh, it's, it's, it's being increased to €30 Euros at the end of October. And, and that's as a result, again, of the success of it. It's, it's really starting to, to become um, yeah, a, a payment method that people are re- really coming towards. And it's, it's also feedback where, where you're trying to displace cash and getting people to just tap and go and bust queues when, when you're in, 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 a, in a retail store. Like you, you get feedback, for example, from, from, the, from the vintners groups around, um, you know, people can't get around of drinks for less than 15 euros. You know, m- maybe the price point has got to be that little bit higher. So, and that's just one group. So uh, that's really going to help even more bringing on the adoption. The fact that it's, it's gone up to 30 euros and, and people will see the benefit from that also. Great. Thank you, Eric. Thank you very much. That was Niall Kitson speaking to Eric Horgan from Elevon. And that is it from our tech radio show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can get hourly updates on tech news along with daily newsletters from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next week, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thanks so much for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.